100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, this is going to be kind of a bonus episode, just going through recapping the last 10 days that I spent, or I guess eight or nine days spent in both Illinois and in West Virginia, kind of recapping the hunt, what I learned, and kind of what I'm going to do moving forward with, as it goes with early October. So I'll start off by saying that I went to Illinois on a hunt that I was invited to go on uh, by Quiet Cat, e-bike company there. So they invited me to, to go out and and hunt uh, Illinois, some primo private land uh, that they'd run an outfitting service on uh, to be able to, to go out there and hunt. And the way at, that I understood it was it was going to be a DIY hunt with me and some other people that, that create content and stuff and kind of almost like as a, a challenge and see how we can uh, figure it out and, and figure out that land for ourselves. Uh, that wasn't exactly how it was. Well, it ended up being when I got there, I realized that this was definitely a fully guided hunt. And uh, I don't think it was intentional as far as the, the miscommunication there. Just uh, uh, maybe, maybe I wasn't asking the right questions. But nonetheless, it, I was a little bit disappointed at first for that reason. Now you might say, oh, well, well, poor you, you got to go on a guided hunt. That sucks. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what I mean by it. The reason why I say that is just this podcast and videos and stuff that I do are trying to be able to help people. And I, I thought kind of going into it that I'd struggle to be able, or I guess when I first started getting there, I'd struggle to be able to get stuff out of it that could help anyone else that's, uh, you know, anyone through the podcast or anything else that, you know, when it's myself going out there trying to figure it out, you know, people can relate to it a little bit more so than this. But so I, I kind of changed my, my thought process on it as I got into it because I was like, all right, what can I take out of this hunt? Uh, although that it wasn't, you know, me just going and trying to figure out farm country and applying some of my big woods tactics. And what I quickly learned was, the the group so performance outdoors is where the hunt was at so that's in uh west central illinois just amazing country giant deer that live on these properties and so i i spent a lot of time with ron who's been guiding and running the operation there for 25 plus years he's from Vermont has hunted big woods deer his whole life and then guiding you know out there during the fall and I learned so much by spending time with him and Riley one of the other guides and Hunter and who's another guy there like they were just full of knowledge and I just picked their brains like I sat in that guide shack and just listened to them talk about deer listening to their strategies how they were running their cameras and, and the food sources and although that this is unpressured, you know, private land, it's not completely applicable. You can mature deer, mature deer, and you can still learn a ton about it. So that was that was really helpful once I kind of changed, shifted my mindset a little bit there and how I could pull from this information and being part of the strategy with them and talking to them and seeing, you know, what things apply. And, you know, there was... There was a lot of uh, similarities and definitely a lot of differences. I mean, they have so much food there that you're just you're really just trying to figure out what's the best food source. And we were out there. We had four days to to be able to hunt. It was hot weather. I mean, it was 75, 80 degrees. 
uh, most of the days. We were, we didn't, the cold front was the day after we left. So we never got to really hit that. But, you know, when you have soybean fields, you've got, you know, corn fields, you got the standing corn, cut corn, um, you got the, the white and red oaks in the timber there. Um, th- there was just a, and then food plots. I mean, there's a plenty of food sources everywhere, but it was like, okay, how do these deer going to move in daylight in places? And, and the first set I had two deer, I, I snuck into this tree on the, the backside of this, uh, standing cornfield and there were some white oaks on this ridge flat with a little draw coming up it was it was a perfect setup like just looked beautiful had deer in front of me right away a few does uh didn't end up seeing any bucks there and um as we went on it was it was for me at least it looked like that and from the guides were just working their asses off trying to to find deer they go out in the evenings glassing and put in a lot of time seemed like any of the, the soybean fields that were still green, the deer were definitely preferring those. But I think that those deer wanted to be back in the timber in the daylight with uh, those white oaks drop. And there were so many white oaks. It was just like, man, it's beautiful. And so the, the the guys that were starting to see some of these, you know, big deer, which there were some people that saw some shooter bucks during this hunt and uh, some of the other people that were hunting there. And, and a lot of it was soybeans. Um, and then also in the timber where there was a white oak. So what, so Jay Maxwell, if, um, currently still holds the the state record, uh, buck in Georgia down there. And, and, uh, you may have seen him in some of the, the earlier seek one videos. Jay was there and what he was picking up on too, was that, you know, these deer would be in that standing corn, um, feeding on that at night. And then they'd work their way in the daylight up through the timber like these like finger timber ridges all the way back into like the big timber where they were bedding for the day, which was pretty nasty and thick. So it seemed to be kind of the hot spots to be in that, that middle ground there, almost like that secondary food source, you know, off the the main one there. So pretty, pretty cut and dry as far as how that worked out. But the weather, you know, obviously made that a little bit more difficult. Um, the one, one evening, I was hunting this stand. So there was a buck that two days before that had been out in this, uh, soybean patch in this one little section that was still green in daylight. And he's probably 155, 160 inch, 10 point, beautiful deer. And I went in to sit in this spot. And as soon as I get there, there was a deer bedded like right below the tree and he jumped down in and started snorting at me. So I started snorting back at him and we, we did this snorting match for like, 10 minutes and then an hour later snorting again well what was happening was even though that like everything's pretty flat out there the draw was just enough that it was starting in that evening to start to pull my thermals down a little bit and there was no wind so it made it worse you know same thing like you would have in, in mountain country just at a, at a smaller scale and that but that buck couldn't get my wind enough to know what i was but he was nervous but when i kept snorting back at him he then it really confused him and he was just you know curious at that point so i never ended up you know he came into like 30 yards but it was so thick in that draw uh that i wasn't able to get a shot at him and how i knew it was a, a buck was the fact that when he, when i started snorting back at him at the one time i just let out like a deep kind of grunt and he started raking a tree just just shredding it up and down but he just would not commit and come in and just kept catching a little bit of my wind there and he was he was done so that spot was kind of burned at that point um 
but towards the end of the hunt, uh, moved into the spot. So, uh, you know, it was again, 75 degrees and like, where's the water at? There was one river or stream, I guess, Creek that I went through the property on the, on the different farm. And so I took the quiet cat in quite a ways. I had to drive the quiet cat in a long ways, which by the way, like the, the whole, you know, taking the e-bikes in as far as being quiet is, is actually incredible from the, from the standpoint of I drove up on deer and, uh, I almost came around to this corner on these deer and this, some of this thick stuff on one of these trails. And this deer about turned inside out cause I was only 10 feet away from her before she even noticed that I was there. So they're really handy tools to be able to get in and out, uh, be getting quietly batteries last long time. It was, um, they're really, really nice tools for that. So I'll be using one where I can, um, you know, Pennsylvania public land. I'm not able to, to use that some private pieces that are open to public hunting allow that, um, places in West Virginia that I'm hunting, I'm able to use them, uh, some other things. So I'll be using the bikes in and out as, um, as I'm able to, cause they're just a really nice tool to not be, get all sweated up and, and be able to get in kind of quietly to places. But, uh, back to the story there. So the last evening of the hunt went into this spot where I had to cross this little creek and get up a bank and there was a tree stand with some little bit of oaks there. And then it was it kind of funneled down the creek, and then there was like a clover plot a little ways up, but it was mostly big timber. I wasn't, I couldn't see any of these fields from this spot, and it didn't take long. I had three bucks come right down the the river there, and came behind me, and I noticed the last one was a good buck, and I was self filming, so I actually used the camera this time for anyone that has watched some of my videos. So I used the camera. Um, and I was using a new timber ninja camera arm. It's not out yet, but you can see the videos. I think on, um, they had some videos on YouTube from ATA show. So Jason sent me one to, to test out for him. It's carbon fiber. Oh my gosh, it's extremely light. Like I'm not an experienced camera guy. So take that with a grain of salt, but I showed it to some of the, the people there that do that for a living. And they were just like super impressed. It weighed nothing. It was so quiet. I strapped that to the tree, was filming these bucks come down, and I was trying to determine, you know, if that last one was big enough because there was a 135-inch 8-point requirement, 145-inch 9-point requirement, and 150-inch 10-point requirement on the, this property. And this was a 9-point, and I was like, first, I'm like, no, he's like 135, you know. He comes, he goes up in the river there, and I have him at... He goes by at 30 yards and he goes out and stands there at 45 yards, kind of quartering away in the wide open. Um, not a, not a chip shot by any means, but like a, a, a very good opportunity there. And, and they just kind of worked their way down. And then later in the evening from the ridge above me, three bucks came out. And I thought that, you know, I, I still don't know. I have to look at the footage a little bit better. I think they're the same three deer. But that last buck came out that nine point again. And at this point, because that creek bottom was way below me, so it was like 40 feet, you know, kind of below me out there. And so, for you know, when you're looking down at a deer, they look smaller. So he's out in front of me at 60 yards at this point working the scrape. And I was like, I'm looking at him through the binos. And I'm like, this is a bigger deer than I thought. Like, I think this might be 145. Like, it looked exactly like my nine point I shot last year in PA. And then I'm like kicking myself like I should have shot that thing when I had the chance. You know, I had him at 60 yards in the open, but on a whitetail, I'm not not going to take that shot. And and I'm just, 
watching him, watching him. He uh, wouldn't respond to any calls and just kind of worked his way off. But it was cool to get to see that deer and get to see them using that water um, coming right down the middle of the, that stream. It was uh, it was neat to be able to see that. But overall, um, so that was that was really the only buck that I saw on that trip. But just like I said, the the quality of deer that's on those properties was just incredible i'm i'm happy that i was able to have that experience and got to meet some awesome people Uh, i ended up doing a podcast with a few of them um that'll come out at a later time uh that that just some really good hunters that were in camp and getting to spend time with them and hanging out with the camp vibe it was it was really cool but uh nonetheless have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others available at all times well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. I moved on from that trip and decided I was going to drive straight to West Virginia and hit the cold front that was coming through uh so you know i guess it would be today is the 11th so you know october 6th 7th something like that i get there and i get to west virginia i get to josh ilderton's house so anybody that uh, is familiar with the untamed youtube channel josh is the face of that for the most part uh just josh invited me down last year to hunt and spot and stalk in the, the mountains of west virginia and and i said i wanted to give it like a full go like do it on my own this year with, you know, Josh helped me with everything last year, which was awesome. But I wanted to start to learn that country on my own. And and so I went down to do kind of a scouting slash hunting trip, but, uh, I went down, stayed at his house and we drove down the next day and him and I split up different areas. And also, uh, Jay Gox that, that is uh, also part of the untamed. So we all had different spots we went to in glass. We'd glass these valley fills in the morning. So, if you're not familiar with a valley fill is, it's basically, and I, I may get this wrong for anybody that's in the coal industry, but basically where they're reclaiming those coal mines as they refill in the valleys to reduce erosion from what it sounds like. They're basically like, I'm showing it on the video version, but there's like steps that go down at create benches the whole way down through there. And it's like filled with grasses as they're new. Once they grow up, they get pretty thick with autumn olive bushes and stuff and you can't really glass them. But when there's a lot of good food sources with those grasses in there. So that's what we do when we're spotting stocking in November. So in the morning, my plan was to glass and then the afternoons, evenings, walk timber and scout and put up trail cameras. So what I did was I, yeah, the first morning it was so foggy. You couldn't see anything. I mean, the fog just covered up all the, the valleys there. So, but I had picked a point off the edge of this valley field that I wanted to walk out and scout. And, um, what I've learned, what I learned about doing that is one West Virginia is, I think it's the steepest place I've ever hunted out of any place out West. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, some of the places I've hunted out West are steeper, but 
when you add oak leaves and everything on top of it, it just makes it so much harder to, to navigate and a bunch of rock cliffs and bluffs and everything that goes through that. And the way I'll describe Southern West Virginia is anything that can sting you, poke you, cut you up, <laughs> bite you, whatever it's there. Like this hunting, that place is definitely not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's just, it's nasty. You know, you get to worry about rattlesnakes or so many bears. They got wild boars there. They've got everything that's, that's in there. And then just like I said, like the amount of bushes and things that have giant thorns on it as you go through and everything's just nasty thick. So I got out on this ridge and trying to get from one bench to another is just like a whole nother world. And I wondered why, you know, everyone I talked to out there hunts the tops of these points. And I'm like, you know, I hunt, you know, a lot of the side hills and stuff. Well, their elevation is different. Like they're the way the mountains run down there. It's not necessarily where you have a point that goes out and then you run down to a bench and another bench and a bench down to the bottom. This is just like from top straight down, except for the points will run down and have a little bit of a more of a gradual, uh, lean to it, but it almost makes those side Hills near impossible to, to be able to get on. But I, I tried it anyways and was working my way around trying to find white Oaks that would be dropping because, those, those valley fills, those grasses are great, you know, early season, late season, but when acorns are dropping, that's what they want to be at, you know? So we, so I was going out there and I wanted to run some cameras and find spots. Well, I couldn't find any white oaks. I was finding chestnut oaks as, you know, Kenny refers to as, uh, the sheets hot dog of deer woods. Deer don't really like them unless they have to eat them. And then I did find some red oaks, which the deer were feeding on. And then ended up running into some bears, uh, had a mother and three cubs, just below me on the bench right where I'd come from, watch them for a little bit feeding on the acorns. And then, then they ended up started coming to me and I kind of made a little bit of a movement there. So they saw me and, and, uh, took off. Um, and then as I started working my way around, I realized most of the sign that I was finding was closer to the top or one bench down. So that's where I started focusing my efforts. I found a scrape. I found a good rub that was about chin high. Um, I, I believe I believe that uh, Josh and them are, are going to release a video. They had um, Harry, one of their interns, spent two of the days with me with a video camera scouting, and they're going to release that on their YouTube channel. Um, so they, so anyways, but I, I was finding some good sign there, but ended up kind of backing out of that spot and saying I wanted I, I didn't find that spot where I was like really pumped up and wanted to drop a camera. So went to some different spots, and once again, it was just like the steepness of that country and how that train lays out was was tough to be able to figure out but the whole top so like you'll get these tops that can be almost not flat but they have a little more rollingness to them for miles because it's where they've reclaimed these these coal mines and they basically cut the mountaintop off and and that's just so thick with autumn olives and everything so the dr living in there too which kind of throws out the traditional how the deer are using some of that terrain at times. But, you know, with, with me trying to focus on the acorns, that's where they were going to be out on those ridges. So just kept checking different spots. I found one little spine ridge point that was like 30 yards long, 10 yards wide, had a scrape on it, and then some red oaks dropping. So I threw a cell camera on that. So far, I've just got bears and coyotes on it. And then, uh, then moved on to... Finally, getting to my favorite spot or the spot I picked out first on the map, but it was the toughest to get to, so I saved it for last. And 
and uh, it was where I I had um, had the shot opportunity to buck the the previous year when I was there hunting with Josh on the ground, but I wanted to go further out this ridge uh, in an area where I was at last year. So I w- went up there, ended up finding some other cameras um, and people running cameras and stuff there. So I just kind of stayed away from that and kept going. And I found two really good spots that I was happy with. One of them was a was kind of a top. Uh, There's like a little bit of a saddle there, but on the edges you had a mix of some timber and some grasses that almost looked like CRP, but it wasn't. And then autumn olive bushes, and it created a couple big trails that went through there that crossed, um, and some rubs that were in there. So I built a scrape there and uh, threw a cell camera on it. And already, not even two days later at noon, I had a real nice mature buck on camera. He's not the biggest antler size uh, deer, but a really good deer. I mean, probably 135-inch, 8-point, but looked like he's like a 6-year-old body deer. Just like, so he must be bedding right in there if it was noon and he's up, you know, moving around in there. But as I went out the ridge further, there's a spot that I had marked like number one spot. So there was four ridges that converged at one point. So big, four big ridges that converged at this one spot. And I get there and it was your funnel of your dreams. Like it was super steep off both sides. It gets up to this little top, this little grassy area, autumn olive bushes. And the one bush had the scrape that I was looking for on it. You know, ones that were two fingers you know, thick, uh, licking branches just snapped off. The ground wasn't really tore up that much yet, but it was just that licking, there was multiple licking branches you could see from years of use. Um, I had to get creative on how to get a camera on those bushes to get it in there. And that would be a ground setup. I mean, you'd be either using a ground blind or just like tucking into one of those autumn olive bushes and hunting that spot. But I just threw a regular camera there because I only had two cell cameras, but it was like, when I found that spot, I felt really good about it. And, um, so from there, that was kind of the end of my trip. I never found any white oaks, uh, to be able to set up on and hunt in the evening, but I got a lot of miles on the ground and feel really good about, uh, when I was glassing in the mornings, a couple of the other mornings when it wasn't so foggy, I found a bunch of does, a lot of does. So, you know, me coming back in middle of November, that's what you're looking for. So the cameras are more of just kind of me trying to see if, some of my strategies will work down there and just kind of like learning type things, uh, possibly sit on the ground. I really want to do the majority of spot and stock while I'm down there in November because I had so much fun with that last year. But uh, I want to learn how the deer are using this land and this terrain and make West Virginia a place that I go to every year. So that's what I'm trying to learn. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a process. I told Josh, I said, you know, it's going to it's going to be a while before I can you know, feel confident in some of these spots in these areas here, but, um, I, I just love it. It's so wild down there and, and cool to be able to hunt. So, uh, and just some really, really big deer that live in, in some of that rugged country. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm using that as kind of like a, an area that I'm going to hold out for shooting a, a big deer. Like that's, that's what my goal is down there. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. 
The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and for quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. Now I'm back in Pennsylvania, and uh, you know it's October 11th here, and I have not stepped foot in the deer woods at all here in PA yet which is the first time ever, but I'm going to get out the next few days here um, just for a few hours each time, trying to get get to some of my cameras, checking them. I haven't checked any of my cameras since August, way behind on all this stuff. Um, but I knew it wasn't going to be early season, so wasn't wasn't too worried about it. But I'm going to put a lot of time in, seeing what's hot now, and try to take advantage of this cold front. So as this podcast goes live, there should be a cold front coming through Pennsylvania, um, and some other areas here on the East Coast. So this is a uh, this is one of my favorite times. I've talked about it before. I never get to hunt this time in the past. But my cameras have shown me really well. You know, you get a cold front from like the 13th to the 18th of October that's associated with precipitation, which is rain that's coming up. Now we're talking about get having a a really good chance for bucks to be hitting those scrapes. So. I hope everyone has some good luck. Just wanted to do kind of a quick podcast update here. Um, and uh, next week, I think I'll have a couple more episodes coming out and trying to trying to keep up with putting out as much as possible. There's a new YouTube video up on the channel. Um, just kind of showing uh, one of the questions I get a lot is about, do you set up above or below the trail? So made a video kind of doing the wind and thermals basics, but then showing uh, a setup and explaining why that I chose to set up above the trail in this situation and just kind of going through that. So check that out and um, more videos coming to YouTube here in, uh, in the coming weeks as well. So thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoy this, please giving it a rating and review, share it with your friends. That helps out so much. But until next week, uh, good luck hunting, and and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.